I'm going to read from Mark chapter 6, verse 33 to 44. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them, because they were like a sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, You give them something to eat. They said to him, That would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was five thousand. Good morning. The title of our message today is Use Your Loaf. You know, we've been doing this uh, series looking at the tough questions that Jesus was asked or that Jesus asked others. And here we see this great example of Jesus asking the disciples a really intimidating question. He asked them what they have. In other words, Jesus is about to do something incredible and he wants to involve the disciples in what he is about to do. And this passage speaks to us of Jesus' motivation, and that is one of compassion. It speaks to us of Jesus' method, and that is to involve the disciples. It speaks to us of how Jesus multiplies the little that they have, so it becomes a lot in his hands. And also, it speaks of the underlying message of Jesus. So I really want you to give me your best ear today and listen because what I have to say is really, really important. You know, I love this passage because it speaks of how Jesus met people's physical needs as well as their spiritual needs. And at Tower Community Church, we're really, really committed to that. We want to be involved in meeting the physical and spiritual needs of our local community. You know, whenever I think about this passage, I'm reminded of one of the first times I preached on this. It was uh, my wife Annie's church in Germany. It's uh, a very large church. It was large even back then. And uh, the first time I preached, and I was preaching on something else, but I made mention of the fact that Jesus was feeding the 5,000. And suddenly, it's a, a room full of people. Everyone began to laugh. And I was like, what I said wasn't funny. And uh, you know that can make you insecure when there's a whole, you know, four or five hundred people looking at you and suddenly they're laughing and you didn't say anything funny. 
So my first thought was, oh no, my flies are undone. So I kind of shuffled behind the lectern, looked down, kind of pulled up my fly, but it wasn't undone. Then I realized actually the lectern was transparent. So now going behind it didn't matter. Everyone's just seen me fiddling with my flies. Then I thought, oh, maybe I got bogey running down my nose. So I kind of subtly went like that. And it really, really threw me off. Anyway, I just got on and preached the rest of the message. And afterwards, I, um, I spoke to the interpreter and I said, well, what was happening there? And he explained to me that what he'd done is when I talked about Jesus feeding the 5,000, that he'd used the German word was the wrong word. So he'd used the word feeding as a baby feeds. So in other words, he translated Jesus was munching or Jesus was eating the 5,000. And it was just one of those really, really uh, poignant moments because it just reminded me of the power of language. And what we have here isn't Jesus meets Hannibal Lecter eating the 5,000. No, here we have Jesus demonstrating something and something important of the kingdom of God. I want us to start firstly by realizing that Jesus' motive was compassion. And that was primarily because the people were lost. In verse 34, we see, and he went ashore, he saw a great multitude, and he felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. You know, here we see that Jesus' motivation was compassion. Jesus' motivation wasn't selfish. It wasn't about himself. In fact, we know that Jesus had looked to be in a quiet place because he'd learned that his friend John had recently been murdered. And yet the people come and find Jesus. They interrupt into his grief. They interrupt into his need for solitude. And yet Jesus responds not with a not out of anger or not out of frustration, but Jesus responds out of compassion. And I want to say that that ought to be the motivation in Christian ministry, the motivation of how we serve people ought never to be self-serving. It ought never to be what can we get from them, but actually it's about wanting to show the love and compassion of Jesus. You see, Jesus was wrecked by their brokenness. But here I want us to see Jesus was, was moved by their compassion, not simply because they were hungry. Actually, what we see, what initiates this is the fact that Jesus was moved with compassion by their lostness. Now, I love mission work. And, you know, a lot of my life is about helping people to work in world mission. But one of the greatest dangers of world mission right now is that we are increasingly only moved by people's physical needs and not by their lostness. And in fact, as churches, we can be the same way. And it's so important to realize Jesus met their physical needs and their spiritual needs. And we don't get to just focus on one of them. Jesus was moved with compassion by their lostness because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And Jesus' response isn't just sympathy, it's not to say, oh, how difficult your life must be. No, Jesus begins to teach and to preach. And I believe that the word of God is the most important thing that anybody needs. The most fundamental human right 
is to hear and understand the good news of Jesus. Friends, that is, it has to be at the core of what we are about as church, has to be at the core of what we are about as Christians, that we believe that people are lost without Jesus, but because of that, we're stirred with compassion, not just by their physical need, but in some senses, even to a greater degree, by their lostness. And here we see, even as Jesus unpacks this miracle later on, as he talks about being the bread of life, he talks about the fact that that normal bread will leave you hungry again. But actually, only he meets those deepest needs. So as we look at this, I want to encourage you, look beyond the miracle to the message. Jesus was moved with compassion. Something stirred in his heart. You know, in my own life, there have been times when I can definitely pinpoint a compassion moment when God has broken something in me and it's caused a season of of pain in my life and a realization of the needs of others. You know, the first time I think I really understood that was talking to a suicidal homeless man in Leicester Square and I was uh, about 18, 19 years old and Jesus broke my heart for the marginalized and for the homeless. And that's been something that stuck with me through life. It was a God moment. Something happened. A a godly sense of compassion hit me and it's marked my life ever since. I was changed by it. I look back again to another time at Louisiana, not America, Louisiana, South Africa, being in a squatter camp, an informal settlement, and uh, doing some stuff in a school there where over 60% of those kids who had absolutely nothing, often not even shoes on their feet, over 60% of those kids were HIV positive with a very low expectation of living a long life. And God broke my heart. And it sealed something in me about having a global vision and a need to be involved in world mission that meets people's physical and spiritual needs. And that has stayed with me ever since. It was a godly moment of compassion. Do you know, right now, I think what we're seeing even in our nation is God, I think, is wanting to break our hearts right now, even over racism. I think there's a moment where God wants to wreck something in our hearts with our ability to just do business as normal when we see that God's creation is marred by the racism of our hearts. And friends, I I just want to ask you in this moment, let's do more than sending a tweet. Let's do more than just do a bit of virtue signaling, but let's search our own hearts. You know, it's really, in one sense, it's important to ask for systemic change. But in one sense, that's easier to talk about the system needs to change rather than confronting the darkness of our own hearts. And I believe that as we look at our world, we need to look at the lostness that's expressed in racism and we need to have our hearts challenged. We need to have our hearts broken. Jesus was moved with compassion by their lostness. And I want to encourage you, when was the last time you or I wept over the lost? Friends, God wants to break our heart. If we lose a vision for the lost, if we lose a burden for the lost, we've lost the burden of the Lord. Secondly, I want us to see Jesus' method. He says, you do something. Jesus' method is to involve 
the disciples. Now this passage tells us that there were 5,000 men who ate that day, which means that including women and children, it's estimated there could have been anything between 10 and 20,000 people. Now that's an incredible number of people, isn't it? And if we look at uh, verse 35, we see that the disciples actually are concerned with the people. They see a need and they bring it to Jesus' attention. In verse 35 there, they say, and when it was already quite late, his disciples came up to him and began saying, this place is desolate and it's already quite late. This place is desolate. Think Dagenham. It's already getting late. Jesus, the shops are shut. And they say, why don't you send the people away because they need something to eat. Here it is. They see a need. They're aware of the need. And they say, Jesus, we need you to send them away because these people need to eat. You know, the disciples themselves were probably tired and hungry. And they're essentially taking this issue and saying, Jesus, go let the people fend for themselves. And one of the things is I believe Jesus is teaching them that part of being a follower of his is to take some degree of responsibility for meeting the needs of others. And I believe there's something in there that we need to learn as church, that sense not just of being able to identify problems, but of being able to help being a solution to it. You know, it's so easy to look at our culture and society and flag up a problem. It's a whole nother thing to bring change. You know, just even thinking about what we see with race right now, I want to encourage you, one of the best things we can do is to actually be part of a solution to that. And that means actually building relationships with people who are really, really different to us. It means actually taking things in our life and starting to bring change. You see, the disciples saw a need and they thought it was too big for them to meet. You know, we know that just from the amount, uh, this, this figure of 200 denarii, that's about eight months of someone's wages. So basically the disciples are saying, this is going to cost eight months worth of money to feed these people. Jesus, this crowd is too big. And they can see the need, but they think meeting the need is beyond them and it's beyond Jesus. And I believe that one of the things is they're saying, well, where can we even get food right now? Where can we even get that? And you see, what they're aware of is not what they have, but they're aware of what they lack. They're aware of what is missing. And I believe that somehow we'll see this Jesus challenges them, not about what is missing, but about what they have. You know, in one sense, though, I think there's a, there's a remarkable element of faith in their response because they say, well, we've got these few pieces of bread and a few pieces of fish. And, you know, you or I, we'd really be actually be embarrassed. Imagine you've got maybe 10, 20,000 people to feed and you say, we've got a glorified packed lunch. When you read loaves, they're not even whole loaves as we know them. You know, think a, think a bread roll. And so they say we've got these few rolls and a couple of fish. And, you know, we would be embarrassed to suggest that. But I love the tenacity of a sense of faith saying, well, we've got this. Let's not be aware of what we lack, but actually let's really be aware of what we have. You know, a number of years ago when we set up 
growth night shelter here in Tower Hamlets to meet the needs of homeless people. That started at a prayer meeting of evangelical church leaders. And uh, Ryan and myself were in a prayer group and we were praying about the homeless situation, people sleeping rough by the Good Shepherd and they started to meet some of their needs. And during that meeting, both Ryan and I really felt that God was calling us to set up a night shelter. And you know, as we shared it, I could see the skepticism in the room and over the coming months as we talked about the dynamics of it, people just thought this thing wouldn't get off the ground. And you know, when we looked at it, we didn't have much, but I remember God really speaking to me out of this passage and just convicting me of the fact we have buildings, we have food, and we have people. And that if we would place those into his hands, then God would do something remarkable through it. You know, as I look back at that 10 years later, uh, this year growth uh, celebrated 10 years and we've helped 1,200 guests during that time provided 27,000 bed spaces and something like 90,000 volunteer hours. Many, many lives changed. Why? Because we started to look at what we had rather than what we lack. You see, Jesus needs them to see that he is able to do something, but that he wants to use them. His method involves their participation. We're going to just take a time now to hear from Leslie and she's going to talk to you a little bit about how she came to faith, place her faith in Jesus as Lord and Saviour. Hello, I'm Leslie and I'd like to tell you how I came to know Jesus. When I was young, my parents and my sister Ali and I moved house quite a lot and wherever we moved to, we went to the local Anglican church. Ali and I didn't go to Sunday school, but there were some things that stick in my mind about God as I was growing up. I remember even in nursery school being told that God is everywhere and then later in the day jumping from stone to stone going, God is here and here and here. I remember too when I was once asked to read a reading in the church and it was Isaiah chapter 6. And this is Isaiah's vision of the Holy One. And he suddenly realises how sinful he is in comparison with how holy God is. And he's in despair and the angel brings a, a coal from the fire and touches his mouth and makes him clean from all his sins. And Isaiah says to God, here I am for whatever you want me to do. That story is, always sticks in my mind and is very special to me. Another thing I remember is after church one day, the vicar was talking to mum and dad and then he turned to me and taught me a little song that's based on the words of Jesus, um, which says, I will make you fishes of men if you follow me. That song's always stuck in my mind as well. We moved to a little village and um, we went to a church called St Mary's. Every week we heard the truth about Jesus, how he died for our sins so that we can be forgiven, how he rose from the dead. But I don't think I completely understood it. Then, as is common in the Anglican Church, Mum and Dad put Ali and me forward for being confirmed. So we went to the confirmation classes and 
we learnt about something called the catechism. Now, the catechism isn't boring, but this was boring. Oh, it was so boring. Then finally, the day for the confirmation service came. And in the service, you confirm the promises that your parents made for you when you were baptised as a baby. So you promise to renounce the world, the flesh and the devil, and to follow Jesus. And the bishop prays and lays his hand on your head. He prays that the Holy Spirit will fill you. I remember going home in the car and at a particular point in the road, which I clearly remember, something happened in my spirit. I wouldn't know how to describe it, but I just thought, oh, that's because I've been confirmed. Something new had happened. And the next morning, I said good morning to God. It was as if he'd come alive in my heart. When the Gideons came to school, they gave us all a Bible and they told us a story about a boy who read his Bible every day. And I thought, I'm going to do that. So I read my Bible every day when I was a teenager, but I didn't really have any Christian friends and I didn't have a lively church. But I knew and I knew that I knew Jesus. It wasn't till later that I learned so much more about him and about the Christian life, about the Holy Spirit, about the Bible, about prayer, about mission. And most of all, about the assurance of forgiveness when you confess your sins to someone else and the peace that brings. I know the truth that he's given me as it's spoken of in John's Gospel, chapter 5 and verse 24 in the Bible. It says, If anyone hears my word and believes him who sent me, he has eternal life. He shall not come under condemnation, but has passed from death to life. If anyone doesn't know Jesus, do listen to him. Do believe in the Father God who sent him. And you will be forgiven for your sins. You will not be condemned, but you will spend eternity with God. Thank you, Leslie. You know, as we're looking at Jesus asking that question of what do you have, I want to remind us of something, and that is the thing we have above all else is the good news of Jesus. We have the life transforming news that we can be forgiven, made right with God, that we can be born again, made new through what Jesus has done. That's what we have. Let's never forget we have the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And you have your story, the story of how God has changed your life that's powerful it's more powerful than somebody's uh, intellectual argument is the fact that jesus has changed your life you know thirdly i want us to see that a little in the hands of jesus becomes a lot jesus multiplies jesus multiplies a little in the hands of jesus becomes a lot you see, what we see is that the disciples were prepared to take what they were able to gather, what they had, what had been entrusted to them and given to them, and they took it and they offered it 
to Jesus. You see, our problem as Christians isn't what we lack, but it's what we do with what we have. And if we would simply realize that the little that we have in the hands of Jesus can become an awful lot because he is the God of multiplication, that would make a profound difference to us. I want you to understand one thing. It's not our ability that's the issue. It's our availability. It's not the fact of, uh, of our, our skills, but actually it's our, our acknowledgement that we need God, but that God invites us to partner with him and to participate in what he is doing. But the challenge to us is will we take the little that we have and will we place it into the hands of Jesus? What God looks for is humility. It's a surrendered heart. It says, Jesus, my life is yours. I give you what I have. You know, each of us has been given a measure of giftedness in life. We've been given resources, time, skills, personality. And one day we are going to have to give an account for that. And brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you with what you have, are we placing it into the hands of Jesus? Are we saying, Jesus, this is what I have, it's yours. Or are we saying, Jesus, this is what I have, it's for me and for myself. You know, one of the profound truths that the Christian gospel reveals to us is our own selfishness. And I believe that God wants to challenge that. And to really challenge us, are we prepared to place what we have into the hands of Jesus? You see, God uses ordinary things. God doesn't use the superstar. You know, so much of our time we are obsessed with celebrity culture, but God uses the ordinary things. If we look in the Bible, we can see that God took hold of broken, frail, failing people, and he does something incredible with them. 1 Corinthians 1, 27 says, uh, But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. You see, God doesn't need us to be strong. God doesn't need us to know all the answers. But actually, God wants our availability more than our ability. You know, if we look in the Bible, we see that Jesus speaks of a donkey and he, and he tells the disciples, the Lord has need of it. The Lord has need of it. You know, a simple donkey can be used. Arsenal fans of a certain age will remember Tony Adams and will be able to know exactly how true that statement is, that a donkey can do great things. But the question is, do we take what we have and place it into the hands of Jesus? I want to encourage you, why don't you see yourself as maybe that little thing that gets placed into the hands of Jesus? But here's the thing, Jesus takes the bread and the fish, he breaks it, multiplies it, and there's so much more left over. There is more than enough. In your life, 
Don't be uh, enthralled to what you lack, but realize what you have and place what you have, place yourself into the hands of Jesus. You know, I love that analogy that Jesus breaks it because part of what we do when we offer ourselves to God is in one sense, God breaks us. But I believe that God wants to multiply our efforts so that there is always enough when we place the little that we have into the hands of Jesus. Be struck by the fact that there was plenty left over. God is the God of abundance. I love the fact, though, that there was good stewardship. They gathered up the baskets. They could tell how many there was. They didn't let anything go to waste. Brothers and sisters, we need to be good stewards of all that God, in his goodness and grace, has entrusted to us. Don't waste a thing. And then, fourthly, I want to encourage you, don't miss the message in the miracle. Don't miss the message in the miracle. You know, we're by nature people who love something that catches the eye. We're people who want something shiny and spectacular. But actually, beyond the miracle, there's the message. And so many of us will recall the miracle, but we will miss the message. And Jesus wanted people to understand the message. That's why teaching was what preceded this miracle. And we see later that that Jesus unpacks this miracle in John's account of, of this same uh, of this same miracle. We see in John chapter 6, Jesus explains the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. You see, people come and they follow Jesus and they, they begin to ask him questions. And Jesus basically says to them, you are here because you've eaten and you're seeking spiritual food. But Jesus wants to challenge them that there is something in life that is deeper than that. Jesus challenges them not just to seek earthly food. John 6 verse 27, he says, look for the food that endures to eternal life. The food that Jesus will give to them. His words. You know, verse 28, it says, then they asked him, what must must we do to do the works that God requires. Jesus, what do you want from us that we can be eternally satisfied? And Jesus says this, he said, it says, Jesus answered, verse 29, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. The work of God is this, to believe in the one that he has sent. You see, it's all about faith in Jesus. This whole thing, Jesus having compassion on them, showing them that they were like sheep with a shepherd and without a shepherd. And Jesus was stirred by their lostness. And he began to teach and preach the kingdom of God. Jesus met their physical needs because he also had compassion on that. Jesus worked with the disciples because he wanted to show them that he wanted to use them. Jesus took the little that he had and made it a lot because he wanted to show them what can happen when we place what we have into his hands. But the point is the message to believe, to believe, to believe. And I want to ask you, have you ever placed your trust in Jesus? You see, so much of the time we're running around looking for stuff in life that satisfies. We're running around looking for things to meet our needs. And ultimately, we are left unsatisfied. 
You know, I love a good meal. And you know that, that time when you eat something brilliant, but I tell you, in the morning, you're hungry again. We need to seek the spiritual food that Jesus gives. We need to believe in him. He is the only one that will truly meet our deepest needs. And as the crowds come to Jesus, because of the miracles, Jesus emphasizes the message. Friends, don't lose the message because you only think about the miracle. To sum this up, I, I want to ask you, as Christians, are we concerned about people's lostness? Are we concerned about the lostness and the brokenness around us? Are we concerned with people's spiritual needs and their physical needs? I believe Jesus met both, but I do absolutely believe that he prioritized the spiritual and in doing so he met the physical. Secondly, I want to ask you, what do you have? What do you have? What do you have? Not what do you lack, but what do you have that you can offer to Jesus and say, Jesus, this is what I have, but I believe as I place it into your hands, you can do great things with it. Thirdly, are we believing that Jesus can bring great change from out of little seeds? In your life, think about the fact that the seed of the gospel takes root and brings wholesale change. And then lastly, are you looking beyond the miracle to the message? You know, we're going to be running a Christianity Explored course in a couple of weeks' time. And if you've never put your trust in Jesus, if you don't know what it is, if you couldn't say with absolute certainty that you know Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, please contact us in the church office. We'd love to take you through the Gospel of Mark, looking at the claims of Jesus, looking about what does it mean to have faith in Jesus. God bless you.